Chapter Twenty One of the Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by C. M. Slosson. The Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume Two, Paris and Prison, by Giacomo Casanova. Translated by Arthur Machen. Episode 9. The False Nun. Chapter 21. Supper at my casino with M. M. and M. de Bruny, the French ambassador. A proposal from M. M. I accept it. Consequences. C. C. is unfaithful to me, and I cannot complain. I felt highly pleased with the supper-party I had arranged with M. M., and I ought to have been happy, yet I was not so. But whence came the anxiety which was a torment to me? Whence? From my fatal habit of gambling. That passion was rooted in me to live and to play were two identical things, and as I could not hold the bank, I would go and punt at the ridotto, where I lost my money morning and night. That state of things made me miserable. Perhaps someone will say to me, Why did you play, when there was no need of it, when you were in want of nothing, when you had all the money you could wish to satisfy your fancies? That would be a troublesome question, if I had not made it a law to tell the truth. Well then, dear inquisitive reader, if I played with almost the certainty of losing, although no one, perhaps, was more sensible than I was to the losses made in gambling, it is because I had in me the evil spirit of avarice. It is because I loved prodigality and because my heart bled when I found myself compelled to spend any money that I had not won at the gambling-table. It is an ugly vice, dear reader, I do not deny it. However, all I can say is that, during the four days previous to the supper, I lost all the gold won for me by M. M. On the anxiously expected day I went to my casino, where at the appointed hour M. M. came with her friend whom she introduced to me as soon as she had taken off his mask. "'I had an ardent wish, sir,' said M. de Bernie to me, "'to renew acquaintance with you, since I heard from Madame that we had known each other in Paris.' With these words he looked at me attentively, as people will do when they are trying to recollect a person whom they have lost sight of. I then told him that we had never spoken to one another, and that he had not seen enough of me to recollect my features now. I had the honour, I added, to dine with your excellency at M. de Mocino's house, but you talked all the time with Marshal Keith, the Prussian ambassador, and I was not fortunate enough to attract your attention. As you were on the point of leaving Paris to return to Venice, you went away almost immediately after dinner, and I had never had the honour of seeing you since that time." "'Now I recollect you,' he answered. "'And I remember asking whether you were not the secretary of the embassy. "'But from this day we shall not forget each other again, "'for the mysteries which unite us "'are of a nature likely to establish a lasting intimacy between us. "'The amiable couple were not long before they felt thoroughly at ease, "'and we sat down to supper, of which, of course, I did the honours.' The ambassador, a fine connoisseur of wines, found mine excellent, and was delighted to hear 
that I had them from Count Algrotti, who was reputed as having the best cellar in Venice. My supper was delicate and abundant, and my manners towards my handsome guests were those of a private individual receiving his sovereign and his mistress. I saw that M. M. was charmed with the respect which I treated her, and with my conversation which evidently interested the ambassador highly. The serious character of a first meeting did not prevent the utterance of witty jests, for in that respect M. de Bernis was a true Frenchman. I have travelled much, I have deeply studied men, individually and in a body, but I have never met with true sociability except in Frenchmen. They alone know how to jest, and it is rare, delicate, refined jesting, which animates conversation and makes society charming. During our delightful supper, wit was never wanting, and the amiable M. M. led the conversation to the romantic combination which had given her occasion to know me. Naturally, she proceeded to speak of my passion for C. C., and she gave such an interesting description of that young girl that the ambassador listened with as much attention as if he had never seen the object of it. But that was his part for he was not aware that I had been informed of his having witnessed from his hiding-place my silly interview with C. C. He told M. M. that he would have been delighted if she had brought her young friend to sup with us. That would be running too great a risk, answered the cunning nun. But if you approved of it, she added, looking at me, I can make you sup with her at my casino, for we sleep in the same room. That offer surprised me much, but it was not the moment to shew it. So I replied, "'It is impossible, madam, to add anything to the pleasure of your society, yet I confess I should be pleased if you could contrive to do us that great favour. Well, I will think of it.' "'But,' observed the ambassador, "'if I am to be one of the party, I think it would be right to apprise the young lady of it. It is not necessary, for I will write to her to agree to whatever madame may propose to her. I will do so to-morrow.' I begged the ambassador to prepare himself with a good stock of indulgence for a girl of fifteen who had no experience of the world. In the course of the evening I related the history of O Morphi, which greatly amused him. He entreated me to let him see her portrait. He informed me that she was still an inmate of the Parc Orcel, where she continued to be the delight of Louis the Fifteenth, to whom she had given a child. My guests left me after midnight, highly pleased, and I remained alone. The next morning, faithful to the promise I had made to my beautiful nun, I wrote to C. C., without informing her that there would be a fourth person at the projected supper, and having given my note to Laura, I repaired to Muran, where I found the following letter from M. M. I could not sleep soundly, my love, if I did not ease my conscience of any unpleasant weight. Perhaps you do not approve of the partie carrée with our young friend, and you may not have objected out of mere politeness. Tell me the truth, dearest, for should you not look forward to that meeting with pleasure, I can contrive to undo it, without implicating you in any way. Trust me for that. If, however, you have no objection to the party, it will take place as agreed. Believe me, I love your soul more than your heart. I mean, then, your person. Adieu. Her fear was very natural, but out of shamefacedness, I did not like to retract. 
M. M. knew me well, and as a skilful tactician she attacked my weak side. Here is my answer. I expected your letter, my best beloved, and you cannot doubt it, because as you know me thoroughly, you must be aware that I know you as well. Yes, I know your mind, and I know what idea you must entertain of me, because I have exposed to you all my weakness and irritability by my sophisms. I do penance for it, dearest, when I think that having raised your suspicions, your tenderness for me must have been weakened. Forget my visions, I beg, and be quite certain that for the future my soul will be in unison with yours. The supper must take place. It will be a pleasure for me, but let me confess that in accepting it I have shewn myself more grateful than polite. C. C. is a novice, and I am not sorry to give her an opportunity of seeing the world, and what school could she learn better than yours? Therefore I recommend her to you, and you will please me much by continuing to shrew your care and friendship towards her, and by increasing, if possible, the sum of your goodness. I fear that you may entice her to take the veil, and if she did I would never console myself. Your friend has quite captivated me. He is a superior man, and truly charming. Thus did I wittingly deprive myself of the power of drawing back, but I was able to realize the full force of the situation. I had no difficulty in guessing that the ambassador was in love with C. C., that he had confessed as much to M. M., who, not being in a position to object to it, was compelled to shew herself compliant, and to assist him in everything that could render his passion successful. She could certainly not do anything without my consent, and she had evidently considered the affair too delicate to venture upon proposing the party point-blank to me. They had, no doubt, put their heads together, so that by bringing the conversation on that subject I should find myself compelled, for the sake of politeness and perhaps of my inward feelings, to fall into the snare. The ambassador whose profession it was to carry on intrigues skilfully had successfully well, and I had taken the bait as he wished. There was nothing left for me but to put a good face on the matter, not only so as not to shrew myself a very silly being, but also in order not to prove myself shamefully ungrateful towards a man who had granted me unheard of privileges. Nevertheless, the consequence of it all was likely to be some coolness in my feelings towards both my mistresses. M. M. had become conscious of this after she had returned to the convent, and wishing to screen herself from all responsibility, she had lost no time in writing to me that she would cause the projected supper to be abandoned, in case I should disapprove of it. But she knew very well that I would not accept her offer. Self-love is a stronger passion even than jealousy. It does not allow a man who has some pretension to wit to shrew himself jealous, particularly towards a person who is not tainted by that base passion, and has proved it. The next day, having gone early to the casino, I found the ambassador already there, and he welcomed me in the most friendly manner. He told me that, if he had known me in Paris, he would have introduced me at court, where I should certainly have made my fortune. Now when I think of that, I say to myself, that might have been the case. But of what good would it have been to me? Perhaps I should have fallen a victim of the Revolution, like so many others. M. de Bernie himself would have been one of those victims if fate had not allowed him to die in Rome in 1794. He died there unhappy, although wealthy, unless his feelings had undergone a complete change before his death, and I do not believe it. 
I asked him whether he liked Venice, and he answered that he could not do otherwise than like that city, in which he enjoyed excellent health, and in which, with plenty of money, life could be enjoyed better than anywhere else. But I do not expect, he added, to be allowed to keep this embassy very long. Be kind enough to let that remain between us. I do not wish to make M. M. unhappy. We were conversing in all confidence when M. M. arrived with her young friend, who showed her surprise at seeing another man with me. But I encouraged her by the most tender welcome, and she recovered all her composure when she saw the delight of the stranger at being answered by her in good French. It gave us both an opportunity of paying the warmest compliments to the mistress who had taught her so well. C. C. was truly charming. Her looks, bright and modest at the same time, seemed to say to me, "'You must belong to me.' I wished to see her shine before her friends, and I contrived to conquer a cowardly feeling of jealousy, which, in spite of myself, was beginning to get hold of me. I took care to make her talk on such subjects as I knew to be familiar to her. I developed her natural intelligence, and had the satisfaction of seeing her admired. Applauded, flattered, animated by the satisfaction she could read in my eyes, C. C. appeared a prodigy to M. de Bernie. And, oh, what a contradiction of human heart I was pleased! Yet I trembled lest he should fall in love with her. What an enigma! I was intent myself upon a work which would have caused me to murder any man who dared to undertake it. During the supper, which was worthy of a king, the ambassador treated C. C. with the most delicate attentions. Wit, cheerfulness, decent manners, attended our delightful party, and did not expel the gaiety and the merry jests with which a Frenchman knows how to season every conversation. An observing critic, who, without being acquainted with us, wished to guess whether love was present at our happy party, might have suspected, perhaps, but he certainly could not have affirmed, that it was there. M. M. treated the ambassador as a friend. She shewed no other feelings towards me than that of deep esteem, and she behaved to C. C. with the tender affection of a sister. M. de Bernie was kind, polite, and amiable with M. M., but he never ceased to take the greatest interest in every word uttered by C. C., who played her part to perfection, because she had only to follow her own nature and that nature being beautiful, C. C. could not fail to be most charming. We had passed five delightful hours, and the ambassador seemed more pleased even than any of us. M. M. had the air of a person satisfied with her own work, and I was playing the part of an approving spectator. C. C. looked highly pleased at having secured the general approbation and there was, perhaps, a slight feeling of vanity in her arising from this special attention which the ambassador had bestowed upon her. She looked at me smiling, and I could easily understand the language of her soul, by which she wished to tell me that she felt perfectly well the difference between the society in which she was then, and that in which her brother had given us such a disgusting specimen of his depravity. After midnight it was time to think of our departure, and M. de Bernie undertook all the complimentary part— Thanking M. M. for the most agreeable supper he had ever had in his life, he contrived to make her offer a repetition of it for two days afterwards, and he asked me, for the sake of appearance, whether I should not find as much delight in the second meeting as himself. Could he have any doubt of my answering affirmatively? I believe not, for I had placed myself under the necessity of being compliant. 
all being agreed we parted company the next day when i thought of that exemplary supper i had no difficulty in guessing what the ultimate result would be the ambassador owed his great fortune entirely to the fair sex because he possessed to the highest degree the art of coddling love and as his nature was eminently voluptuous he found his advantage in it because he knew how to call desires into existence and this procured him enjoyments worthy of his delicate taste i saw that he was deeply in love with c c and i was far from supposing him the man to be satisfied with looking at her lovely eyes he certainly had some plan arranged and n m in spite of all her honesty was the prime manager of it i knew that she would carry it on with such delicate skill that i should not see any evidence of it although i did not feel disposed to shew more compliance than was strictly just i foresaw that in the end i should be the dupe and my poor c c the victim of a cunningly contrived trick i could not make up my mind either to consent with a good grace or to throw obstacles in the way and believe my dear little wife incapable of abandoning herself to anything likely to displease me i allowed myself to be taken off my guard and to rely upon the difficulty of seducing her stupid calculation self-love and shamefacedness prevented me from using my common sense at all events that intrigued kept me in a state of fever because i was afraid of its consequences and yet curiosity mastered me to such an extent that i was longing for the result i knew very well that a second edition of this supper did not imply that the same play would be performed a second time and i foresaw that the changes would be strongly marked but i thought myself bound in order not to retract i could not lead the intrigue but i believe myself sufficiently skilful to baffle all their manoeuvrings after all those considerations however considerations which enabled me to assume the countenance of false bravery the experience of c c who in spite of all the knowledge she had lately acquired was only a novice caused me great anxiety it was easy to abuse her natural wish to be polite but that fear gave way very soon before the confidence i had in m m's delicacy i thought that having seen how i had spent six hours with the young girl knowing for certainty that i intended to marry her m m would never be guilty of such base treason all these thoughts worthy only of a weak and bashful jealousy brought no conclusive decision i had to follow the current and watch events at the appointed time i repaired to the casino where i found my two lovely friends sitting by the fire good evening my two divinities where is our charming frenchman he has not arrived yet answered m m but he will doubtless soon be here i took off my mask and sitting between them i gave them a thousand kisses taking good care not to shew any preference and although i knew that they were aware of the unquestionable right i had upon both of them i kept within the limits of the utmost decency i congratulated them upon the mutual inclination they felt for each other and i saw that they were pleased not to have to blush on that account more than one hour was spent in gallant and friendly conversation without my giving any satisfaction to my burning desires m m attracted me more than c c but i would not for the world have offended the charming girl m m was beginning to shew some anxiety about the absence of m de bernis when the doorkeeper brought her a note from him 
a courier he wrote who arrived two hours ago prevents my being happy to-night for i am compelled to pass it in answering the dispatches i have received i trust that you will forgive and pity me may i hope that you will kindly grant me on friday the pleasure of which i am so unfortunately deprived to-day let me know your answer by to-morrow i wish ardently in that case to find you with the same guests to whom i beg you present my affectionate compliments well said m m it is not his fault we will sup without him will you come on friday yes with the greatest pleasure but what is the matter with you dear c c you look sad sad no unless it should be for the sake of my friend for i have never seen a more polite and more obliging gentleman very well dear i am glad he has rendered you so sensible what do you mean could any one be insensible to his merit better still but i agree with you only tell me if you love him well even if i loved him do you think i would go and tell him besides i am certain that he loves my friend so saying she sat down on m m s knee calling her her own little wife and my two beauties began to bestow on one another caresses which made me laugh heartily far from troubling their sport i excited them in order to enjoy a spectacle with which i had long been acquainted m m took a book full of the most lascivious engravings and said with a significant glance at my direction do you wish me to have a fire lighted in the alcove i understood her and replied you would oblige me for the bed being large we can all three sleep comfortably in it i guessed that she feared my suspecting the ambassador of enjoying from the mysterious closet the sight of our amorous trio and she wished to destroy that suspicion by her proposal the table having been laid in front of the alcove supper was served and we all did honour to it we were all blessed with a devouring appetite while m m was teaching her friend how to mix punch i was admiring with delight the progress made in beauty by c c your bosom i said to her must have become perfect during the last nine months it is like mine answered m m would you like to see for yourself of course i did not refuse m m unlaced her friend who made no resistance and performing afterwards the same office upon herself in less than two minutes i was admiring four rivals contending for the golden apple like the three goddesses and which would have set to defiance the handsome paris himself to adjudge the prize without injustice need i say what an ardent fire that ravishing sight sent coursing through my veins i placed immediately on the table the academie des dames and pointed out a certain position to m m who understanding my wishes said to c c will you darling represent that group with me a look of compliance was c c's only answer she was not yet inured to amorous pleasures as much as her lovely teacher while i was laughing with delight the two friends were getting ready and in a few minutes we were all three in bed and in a state of nature at first satisfied with enjoying the sight of the barren contest of my two bacchanalians i was amused by their efforts and by the contrast of colours for one was dark and the other fair but soon excited myself and consumed by all the fire of voluptuousness i threw myself upon them and i made them one after the other almost faint away from the excess of love and enjoyment worn out and satiated with pleasure i invited them to take some rest we slept until we were awakened by the alarm which i had taken care to set at four o'clock we were certain of turning to good account the two hours we had then to spare before parting company 
which we did at the dawn of day, humiliated at having to confess our exhaustion, but highly pleased with each other, and longing for a renewal of our delightful pleasures. The next day, however, when I came to think of that rather too lively night, during which, as is generally the case, love had routed reason, I felt some remorse. M. M. wanted to convince me of her love, and for that purpose she had combined all the virtues which I attached to my own affection, namely honour, delicacy, and truth. But her temperament of which her mind was a slave carried her towards excess, and she prepared everything in order to give way to it, while she awaited the opportunity of making me her accomplice. She was coaxing love to make it compliant, and to succeed in mastering it, because her heart, enslaved by her senses, never reproached her. She likewise tried to deceive herself by endeavouring to forget that I might complain of having been surprised. She knew that to utter such a complaint I would have to acknowledge myself weaker or less courageous than she was, and she relied upon my being ashamed to make such a confession. I had no doubt, whatever, that the absence of the ambassador had been arranged and concerted beforehand. I could see still further, for it seemed evident to me, that the two conspirators I had foreseen, that I would guess the artifice, and that feeling stung to the quick in spite of all my regrets, I would not shew myself less generous than they had been themselves. The ambassador having first procured me a delightful night, how could I refuse to let him enjoy a pleasant one? My friends had argued very well, for in spite of all the objections of my mind, I saw that I could not on my side put an obstacle in their way. C. C. was no impediment to them. They were certain of conquering her the moment she was not hindered by my presence. It rested entirely with M. M., who had perfect control over her. Poor girl! I saw her on the high road to debauchery, and it was my own doing. I sighed when I thought how little I had spared them in our last orgy, and what would become of me if both of them should happen to be by my doing in such a position as to compel to run away from the convent. I could imagine both of them thrown upon my hand, and the prospect was not particularly agreeable. I would be embarrassed de richesse. In the miserable contest between reason and prejudice, between nature and sentiment, I could not make up my mind either to go to the supper or to remain absent from it. If I go, I said to myself, that night will pass with perfect decency but I shall prove myself very ridiculous, jealous, ungrateful, and even wanting in common politeness if I remain absent. C. C. is lost, at least in my estimation, for I feel that my love will no longer exist, and then good-bye to all idea of marriage with her. In the perplexity of mind, in which I found myself, I felt a want of something more certain than mere probabilities to base my decision upon. I put on my mask and repaired to the mansion of the French ambassador. I addressed myself to the gatekeeper, saying that I had a letter for Versailles, and that I would thank him to deliver it to the courier when he went back to France with His Excellency's dispatches. But, sir, answered the man, we have not had a special courier for the last two months. What? Did not a special cabinet messenger arrive here last night? Then he must have come in through the garret window or down the chimney. For on the word of an honest man, none entered through the gate. But the ambassador worked all night. That may be, sir, but not here, for His Excellency dined with the Spanish ambassador and did not return till very late. 
I had guessed rightly. I could no longer entertain any doubt. It was all over. I could not draw back without shame. C.C. must resist if the game was distasteful to her. No violence would, of course, be offered to her. The die was cast. Towards evening I went to the Casino of Muran, and wrote a short note to M.M., requesting her to excuse me if some important business of M. de Bradeguin's prevented me from spending the night with her and with our two friends, to whom I sent my compliments, as well as my apologies. After that I returned to Venice, but in rather an unpleasant mood to divert myself I went to the gaming-table and lost all night. Two days afterwards, being certain that a letter from M. M. awaited me at Muran, I went over, and the doorkeeper handed me a parcel in which I found a note from my nun, and a letter from C. C., for everything was now in common between them. Here is C. C.'s letter. We were very sorry, dearest friend, when we heard that we should not have the happiness of seeing you. My dear M. M.'s friend came shortly afterwards, and when he read your note he likewise expressed his deep regret. We expected to have a very dull supper, but the witty sayings of that gentleman enlivened us, and you cannot imagine of what follies we were guilty after partaking of some champagne punch. Our friend had become as gay as ourselves, and we spent the night in trios, not very fatiguing, but very pleasant. I can assure you that the man deserves to be loved, but he must acknowledge himself inferior to you in everything." Believe me, dearest, I shall ever love you, and you must for ever remain the master of my heart. In spite of all my vexation, the letter made me laugh, but the note of M. M. was much more singular. Here are the contents of it. I am certain, my own beloved, that you told a story out of pure politeness, but you had guessed that I expected you to do so. You have made our friend a splendid present in exchange for the one he made you when he did not object to his M. M. bestowing her heart upon you. You possess that heart entirely, dearest, and you'd possess it under all circumstances, but how sweet it is to flavor the pleasures of love with the charms of friendship. I was sorry not to see you, but I knew that if you had come we would not have had such enjoyment from our friend, notwithstanding all his wit is not exempt from some natural prejudices. As for C. C., her mind is now quite as free of them as her own, and I am glad she owes it to me. You must feel thankful for me having completed her education, and for rendering her in every way worthy of you. I wish you had been hiding in the closet, where I am certain you would have spent some delightful hours. On Wednesday next I shall be yours, and all alone with you in your casino in Venice. Let me know whether you will be at the usual hour near the statue of the hero Colonni, in case you should be prevented, name any other day. I had to answer those two letters in the same spirit in which they had been written, and in spite of all the bitter feelings which were the raging in my heart, my answers were to be as sweet as honey. I would in need of great courage, but I say to myself, George Dandin, tu l'as voulu. I could not refuse to pay the penalty of my own deeds, and I have never been able to ascertain whether the shame I felt was what is called shamefacedness. It is a problem which I leave to others." In my letter to C. C., I had the courage, or the effrontery, to congratulate her and to encourage her to imitate M. M., the best model, I said, I could propose to her. I wrote to my nun that I would be punctual at the appointment near the statue, and admits many false compliments, which ought to have betrayed the true state of my heart. 
I told her that I admired the perfect education she had given to C.C., but that I congratulated myself upon having escaped the torture I should have suffered in the mysterious observatory, for I felt that I could not have borne it. On the Wednesday I was punctual at the rendezvous, and I had not to wait long for M.M., who came disguised in male attire. "'No theatre to-night,' she said to me. "'Let us go to the Ridotto to lose or double our money.' She had six hundred sequins, and I had about one hundred. Fortune turned her back upon us, and we lost all. I expected that we would then leave the cutthroat place, but M. M., having left me for a minute, came back with three hundred sequins, which had been given to her by her friend, whom she knew where to find. That money given by love or by friendship brought her luck for a short time, and she soon won back all we had lost but in our greediness or imprudence we continued to play, and finally we lost our last sequin. When we could play no longer, M. M. said to me, Now that we need not fear thieves, let us go to our supper. That woman, religious and a free thinker, a libertine and gambler, was wonderful in all she did. She had just lost five hundred pounds, and she was as completely at her ease if she had won a very large sum. It is true that the money she had just lost had not cost her much. As soon as we were alone she found me sad and low-spirited, although I tried hard not to appear so, but as for her always the same. She was handsome, brilliant, cheerful, and amorous. She thought she would bring back my spirits by giving me the fullest particulars of the night she had passed with C. C. and her friend, but she ought to have guessed that she was going the wrong way. That is very common error. It comes from the mind, because people imagine that what they feel themselves others must feel likewise. I was on thorns, and I tried everything to avoid that subject, and to lead the conversation into a different channel, for the amorous particulars on which she was dwelling with her apparent delight vexed me greatly, and spite caused coldness. I was afraid of not playing my part very warmly in the amorous contest which she was at hand. When a lover doubts his own strength, he may almost always be sure that he will fail in his efforts. After supper we went to bed in the alcove where the beauty, the mental and physical charms, the grace and the ardour of my lovely nun cast all my bad temper to the winds, and soon restored me to my usual good spirits. The nights being shorter, we spent two hours in the most delightful pleasures, and then parted, satisfied and full of love. Before leaving, M. M. asked me to go to a casino, to take some money into play. Taking her for my partner, I did so. I took all the gold I found in playing in the martingale, and doubling my stakes continuously. I won every day during the remainder of the carnival. I was fortunate enough never to lose the sixth card. And if I had lost it, I should have been without money to play, for I had two thousand sequins on that card. I congratulated myself upon having increased the treasure of my dear mistress, who wrote to me that, for the sake of civility, we ought to have supper in Pantacali on Shrove Monday. I consented. That supper was the last I ever had in my life with C.C. She was in excellent spirits, but I had made up my mind— and as I paid all my attentions to M. M., C. C. imitated my example without difficulty, and she devoted herself wholly to her new lover, foreseeing that she would, a little later, 
be all of us in each other's way, I begged M. M. to arrange everything so that we could be apart, and she contrived it marvellously well. After supper the ambassador proposed a game of faro, which our beauties did not know. He called for cards, and placed one hundred louis on the table before him. He dealt, and took care to make C. C. win the whole of that sum. It was the best way to make her accept it as pin-money. The young girl, dazzled by so much gold, and not knowing what to do with it, asked her friend to take care of it for her, until such a time as she should leave the convent to get married. When the game was over, M. M. complained of a headache, and said that she would go to bed in the alcove. She asked me to come and lull her to sleep. We thus left the new lovers free to be as gay as they choose. Six hours afterwards, when the alarum warned us that it was time to part, we found them asleep in each other's embrace. I had myself passed an amorous and quiet night, pleased with M. M., and without giving one thought to C. C. End of chapter 21